Bibles with you. Let's go to Second uh, Samuel this time, chapter six, and then First Corinthians. Second Samuel six and First Corinthians chapter one. This is the, uh, the last of the Rise Up, O Men of God part of this sermon series. Starting next Sunday, I will uh, uh, start the Step Forward in Faith, O Women of God, which is a lot, a lot more to say as uh, part of the sermon series, but uh, four weeks on that. Um, and uh, so hopefully that will be a blessing. Anyway, let's start with six. Uh, 2 Samuel 6. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he docked there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread 
a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And then let's flip over to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1. Starting at verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, I have to admit, I was seriously tempted to wear a kilt today to preach the sermon. No, because uh, a kilt was probably about the closest thing to a linen ephod that I could come to, except it's made out of uh, wool and probably itchy. Uh, You know, and and, uh, uh, traditionally, you you, you probably know how kilt's made, so uh, worn, so I won't go into that uh, for the sake of mixed company here. But uh, so, so I was thinking about, you know, just coming in with my, with my kilt and doing a little dance, you know, down the middle of the, the aisle and, you know, swing around. So it's kind of, you know, like those dresses when they kind of do their swingy thing. Uh, but, you know, in the end, uh, I was going to put my kilt on this morning and I realized 
I don't have a kilt. Uh, so you guys were spared uh, my kilt wearing. Uh, so thank God. If you have nothing else to be thankful for today, you can be thankful that I don't have a kilt and I'm not standing before you in a kilt. Uh, as tempting as it was. I guess I could have got a lungi. But, you know, those lungi, they're really hard to dance in like that. Uh, I've seen Pastor Qual in the way he wears those. And that's what the traditional dress in Myanmar uh, in Burma. So, so okay, so I don't have a kilt. But I was thinking about an experience that I had. Um, oh, gosh, uh, back in uh, uh, 2007... I always hate this one. Oh, there it goes. That's way. Back in 2007, I was up at a conference in Scotland, and it's a conference for church leaders. Uh, it's actually more of a retreat than a conference. Uh, it's called Caring for the Shepherds, and it was two weeks where you could get away and, and stay in a very nice place and be pampered and cared for. And they had prayer ministry as part of this. And I thought, well, you know, I'll avail myself of the prayer ministry. And the prayer ministry was a really good time. It was with a, an older couple. And they sat down and prayed. Uh, and they, they had a picture uh, that actually was probably a picture of when I was adopted. Uh, something traumatic that had happened to me around that time. Uh, and they didn't know that I was adopted. Uh, so they had this, this prophetic picture and this you know, sense that I should forgive a person. And I thought, okay, you know, let's do that. That's great. And so I started praying, you know, and, and just say, Lord, you know, I choose to forgive this person. If you've been through Freedom in Christ here at City Temple, you know the prayer of forgiveness. And so I was going through the prayer of forgiveness, and, and I'm praying through this, and there was a, a bit of a, a pause there, and the woman said, you know, it's okay to cry. And I thought, yeah, I know that, but I don't feel like crying. So I kept praying doing the business, dealing with the different things that the Lord was showing. It was a very powerful time. And then after an, an, another moment or two, the guy said, you know, sometimes people cry when they're going through this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I know that. Uh, but I don't feel like crying. You know, if I feel like crying, don't worry, I will cry. But I don't need to cry here. I just need to do what God's told me to do. And for me, reflecting on that, it is a bit of an indicator of how often we almost try to, uh, excuse me ladies, feminize men in these kinds of experiences, in, in our experiences as a church. Um, now, I'm not saying that men don't ever cry. Uh, we do. I've cried many times uh, on, in my life. I know what it's like to cry. I know what it's like to weep and, and that kind of thing. And I'm also not saying that women cry too much. So don't hear that. You know, no hate mail, uh, no thrown dishes or anything like that. I'm not saying that at all. But there's almost an expectation that men, if we're in church, if we're Christian men, that we are going to engage in our walk of faith like women do. And the thing is, we don't. We're not women, thankfully. You know, I am very thankful I'm not a woman because I got to marry one. And I love her very much. If I was a woman, marrying her would be an out for me. 
Uh, and so I'm very thankful that God made me a man, not because men are better, not because they're superior. Men and women are equal before the Lord. They both have been created in the image of God. And, and you'll hear more about that next week when I begin to talk about women a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, we don't have to be women in order to be Christians. We don't have to be feminine in order to worship God. We don't have to become like women if we're going to be Christians in order to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to be the men that God has created us to be. We need to be the men that God has created us to be and live boldly and authentically before the Lord. Because what the world needs are, is men who want to live for Jesus as the men God has created them to be. And we're all created differently as men. There's no monolithic male figure, uh, just as there's no monolithic woman figure. God has created us differently, but he has created each one of us. But unfortunately, today, being a man is kind of dangerous. And it's exceedingly difficult oftentimes. And a lot of that, frankly, is not the conspiracy of the world. It's frankly, it's, sometimes it's our own fault. You know, like sometimes we get blamed for what's called mansplaining. I don't know if you've heard that word, mansplaining, where, where men try to explain everything because it's like we know it all. Uh, and that got, got to be kind of popular. But sometimes, you know, guys, we do come off like we know it all. I mean, I know it all. But I know not everybody knows it all. So, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we just come out that way. Sorry, that's not true. Now, somebody hopefully doesn't excerpt that from the sermon. Uh, the other thing we deal with is, is our pride. A lot of times, guys, we're our own worst enemy because we walk around with so much pride. And we just need to, to deal with it and get over ourselves. And we feel like we have to be invulnerable. You know, that's not true at all. Uh, we put on masks so people don't see who we really are. And frankly, guys, most of us are highly vulnerable to guilt and shame, especially shame. Any person who knows how to shame us controls us. And if you allow human beings to shame you, they control you. But... We don't, we're not honest with ourselves and we're not honest with one another that we are so highly motivated by guilt and shame, we try to stuff it down, but the more we stuff it down, the more easily we are controlled. We often think, in the words of Paul, that we're wise in this world instead of realizing that we're kind of foolish and, and embrace that reality for us. So our challenge here as men is to live... Oh, there we go. Uh, to live authentically without shame. Live authentically without shame. And as, I've, as we've done for this whole time, I really think that David is another example for us in how to do this. And, uh, and this passage we read today shows us a lot about how to live authentically as men without shame. Originally, I thought that this was actually about worship. And I was going to focus on how we worship and, and have all of us guys get up here and do some dances with some flags and things. Uh, but then I thought, no, this isn't about worship. And I wasn't going to do that, by the way, guys. So nobody get panicked here. 
Uh, you all know me well enough to know that I wouldn't do that. Uh, I wouldn't even do that myself. Uh, well, if God told me to do it, uh, I would do it. But uh, he'd have to be very clear, like send me a text message uh, that he wanted me to do that, and, and I would do it. Any, anyway, uh, but, you know, but it's actually more. This passage is about more than just worship. It's about how David lived before people. It's not about how David lived in private. This is about how David lived authentically before people, before his family, before his wife, Michal, before the people who worked with him, uh, before his, his male buddies. You know, he had mighty men that were with him. This is about how David lived before all these people in an authentic way without shame. Now, to do that, we first need to recognize, this is what we learned from David, we need to recognize and resolve the sources of our anger and fear. These are two of the biggest forces that undermine our manhood, anger and fear. And so many of us as men, we kind of bounce between those two things. We don't tell people about our fears, but we really show our anger. And sometimes our anger comes because of our fear. So we need to recognize this and resolve some of the sources of our anger and fear. And you see this in the first 11 verses of this passage, and I'm going to hit this all very quickly. The first thing is what David did, verses 1 and 2. We make presumptions based on our own strength or pride. So here David is going, he says, I need to get the ark, I want to bring the ark, and so I'm going to do a great thing for God. I'm going to take my 30,000 men and we're going to go and we're going to get the Ark of the Lord. Now the Ark of the Lord was important because the Ark is symbolic of the presence of God in the midst of the people. As long as they had the Ark, they would say, God is with us. So that's why David wants to bring it in uh, to, to Jerusalem because he wants the symbol, he wants God's presence there with them. And so he says, hey, I'm going to go out and bring the ark. I, I'm a strong guy. I can do this. And when he did it, he was acting out of presumption. He was acting out of his own sense of strength and pride. And he was presuming that he knew what to do. This is the problem. He was presuming that he knew what to do. And so what does he do? He gets a lot of people, a, a big band together. They're going to play. They're going to worship the Lord. It's like, you know, the rock and roll band of the time. He gets them together. He has a brand new Mercedes commissioned to carry. No, it's a cart. But it's a brand new cart that he commissions to carry the ark. There's a problem. If you read what God told Moses and that information would have been available to him, God said the ark must be carried. There's poles that had rings to go along the side, that poles should go through the rings, and the ark should be carried by four people, not put on a trolley like you were going to Sainsbury's. But that's what he does. He says, oh, it's a, it's a brand new, it's a brand new cart, so it should be good. And what he was doing, he was presuming based on his sense of strength and pride. We can't do that. He ultimately was failing to obey God. 
He's failing to obey, obey God and he substitutes his own best efforts. We do this all the time, guys. The history of City Temple is a history of men who have failed to obey God as pastors of the church and did their own best efforts. We see that all the time in our history. That's verses 3 and 4. And then we assume that our best efforts are sufficient to please God. That if we do our best, it doesn't really matter to Him. You know, this is going to be pleasing to Him. This is what David was doing there, verse 5. And then because of all of that, we start to assume that our sins and our errors don't really matter. And we don't accept our own responsibility and face the consequences. And so this is what's happened here. So this whole scenario starts to play out. They're going along with the, with the cart, brand new cart, lots of people singing. Ooze is walking there, poor guy. And he sees the ark start to teeter on the, on the cart because they didn't have very good roads in those days. So they're starting to teeter on the cart. So he says, oh, I need to stop it from falling off the cart. And so he touches it and he dies. We need to understand there are consequences for our sins. Even though we are forgiven in Christ Jesus, we need to be careful and show God the kind of honor and respect that God deserves. And so David gets angry. Why is he angry? Because he has misunderstood God and his ways. He's misunderstood who God is. He's misunderstood God's opinion. He hasn't paid attention to what God says. And so he gets angry, and then he gets afraid, and he says, no way, I'm not going to do this anymore. And so he doesn't complete his obedience, and we do the same thing. We go, we presume that we know what to do. We don't really know what to do. We sin. God deals with our sin. We get upset with God for dealing with our sin. We don't really understand the holiness of God and the greatness of God. And when God says to do something, we're supposed to do it. And consequently, we get upset, we get angry, we get afraid, we don't complete our obedience, and we miss, we divert our blessings. And because of these kinds of things, we get angry and afraid, and we need to recognize that when we're feeling anger, what we tend to do is we tend to blame somebody else for our anger. We tend to blame somebody else And oftentimes it's the person close to us, our spouse, our kids, our brother or sister. Instead of taking responsibility and recognizing, wait, maybe this is because of some sin in my life that I have not recognized and I've not resolved by repenting. And that's the good news. When we recognize the sin, we can repent. And repentance always works because of the cross of Christ. It always works. So if we are going to live authentically in Jesus before people without shame, we need to recognize and resolve our own anger and fear. And we can do that because it doesn't depend on other people. It depends on our relationship with God and Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Thankfully, the others won't take quite as long. But that's a big thing for us, guys. And it's one of the biggest reasons that we get into trouble. Because we have failed to recognize and resolve the real sources of our anger and fear. 
The second thing is, we need to pursue God's blessings. Pursue God's blessings, especially for our household. Uh, it's very popular uh, now for people to say, well, we need to pursue the giver and not the gift. And that's true. We need to be going after God. We need to be going after our relationship with God. We need to pursue that. We need to press in in prayer and reading the Bible and worshiping and all those kinds of things. But there's nothing wrong with pursuing God's blessings as well, especially God's blessings for our household. We're not pursuing God's blessings for us personally, for what we get out of it. We pursue God's blessings for our household. And that's what David does. Obed-Edom, he has a blessing here. He's, he's got the ark of God and everything's going well for him. And so David, he's there in Jerusalem. He's saying, oy vey, uh, I can't let this guy, he's a Gittite. He's not even an Israelite. He's a Gittite. I don't want the Gittites to get all the blessings here. I need to go after God and go after these blessings. And so he starts to pursue God's blessings for his household. And in doing so, he's recognizing that the blessings come from our relationship with God doesn't come from our hard work, doesn't come from the stuff that's inherent in us. It comes with God. That's why he's going after the ark. The ark is God's presence. He's pursuing God's presence because he knows by pursuing God's presence, he'll get the blessing. And then he starts to bring it home. But notice here, he takes the, the guys take six steps and they sacrifice. So we need to remember as we're pursuing as we're pursuing, oh, excuse me, I skipped ahead. As we're pursuing God's blessing, the, the one thing he did, he was rejoicing here. Sorry, the next one is the sacrifice. He's rejoicing. Now what's rejoicing? He's celebrating before the Lord. He's remembering God's goodness. You can't pursue God's blessings with the attitude of, oh God, I know that you're stingy, mean-spirited, and, and you really want to strike me dead, but uh, please give me something. I mean, that, that's not a motivator for a healthy relationship. He's rejoicing before the Lord. He's celebrating the Lord and the Lord's goodness. Then the third thing is we need to commit our steps to the Lord. This is verse 13. Uh, by the way, that last one was verse 12. This is verse 13. Commit our steps to the Lord. Notice they take six steps and they sacrifice. What are they doing? They're making a commitment. God, I'm not going to go far without blessing you, honoring you, and seeking you. So six steps, and then they sacrifice. That's a lot of animals. By the way, they weren't empty sacrifices because people got to eat the sacrifices. So it's like if they were in South Africa, they'd be having a, a barbie. You know, every six steps, this is great, let's have a party. Yeah, so that, that's really the attitude here. But we have to understand that this does require sacrifice and commitment. It requires sacrifice and commitment. You cannot commit your way with the Lord without giving something up. And so we do that. Then the fourth way that we live authentically without shame does involve worship. You can't get out of the worship thing. We need to worship the Lord joyfully and sacrificially with all your might. Worship the Lord joyfully and sacrificially. Worship is not a half-hearted thing. Now this doesn't mean that there's one sanctified way of worshiping God. 
It doesn't mean that if we're going to worship God, we all as men, we need to get those flags and spin the flags, you know, that that's the way, or that we as men, we need to put on our kilts and do the David thing, you know, do a David dance before the Lord, or that we as men even need to sing or play a guitar or play the drums, uh, although that's a really manly thing to do to play, play the drums. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean we do any of those things. The key thing is not what you do, is that you do it with all your strength, that you're 100% invested in it, and that it also involves joy and sacrifice. Again, if you're, you're kind of, it, it, you could be dancing before the Lord with all your, your might and say, I, I hate this, I hate doing this, I don't like it, I don't like God, you know, and that's, that's not joyful. So we worship the Lord as David did. And you see this in verses 14, 17, and 21 in the passage. David danced and he offered these ritual sacrifices. But again, we can worship as God created us. All of us are different. We're designed in different ways. I, I've seen a number of men in my life who were not gifted by God with singing voices. So I'm like, you know, you need to have silent worship before the Lord. Or whatever it is, however God's designed you, worship the Lord with all your might. And remember that worship is something that celebrates the Lord. It's not something that's somber. Even if it's quiet, we need to be celebrating God, celebrating who God really is. So if you're, if you're keeping track here, keeping score a bit, come on. We recognize and resolve the sources of anger and fear. We pursue God's blessings. You go after God's blessings for our own household. We commit our steps to the Lord. We worship the Lord joyfully and sacrificially with all our might. Number five is getting tough. You thought the worship one was tough. Number five is probably the toughest one for us. It's in verses 14, 16, and 20 to 23. We must be open and vulnerable to people. Open and vulnerable. And this is not only the people that are closest to us. Remember, this is how we live before people. Open and vulnerable. Now, this does not mean that we share everything. All of us guys, we have stuff that we only share with one or two other people. That's okay. So I'm not saying get up here and say, oh, my life's so rough and I just, you know, where you're sharing every detail of your life. There's a lot, you know, too much information. And there is that with guys, right? I mean, we're all there. You know, and there's a lot of times uh, with us guys, we communicate more with a grunt and a look than some people communicate with two or three pages. Um, and so there's, there's a brilliant film, and I can't remember the name of it. I didn't really like the film, but there's this great scene where two men are communicating with other, and each other and they have a conversation but they don't say a word. But you get subtitles for what they, what they mean by their looks and their words. That was great. I wish I could think, think of it. Uh, just came to me that, 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 has, that that's there. So we need to take the risk to expose ourselves, not literally, physically expose ourselves, right? That's what David did. I'm not advocating that. That gets you in jail. But there's another way that we expose ourselves, and it's risky because we know it can be difficult and painful because there are people who will use it against you. Always. 
There are people who will take it out of context, distort it, especially in this day and age. And when we're open and vulnerable, we have to accept that some people will try to shame us, belittle us, and disparage us, and sometimes it's even the people who are closest to us. In David's case, it was his wife. But that's going to happen. But if we want to live authentically before people without shame, the best way to do it is to expose ourselves and be vulnerable, be open and vulnerable to people. And the reason is that shame only has power in the darkness. It never has power in the light. And so as men, we've got to be open and vulnerable. And then we need to resist, this is number six, resist and refuse shame with our identity and calling in Christ. Verses 21 and 22. Some people will work hard to shame us. And remember, if people can shame you, they can control you. That's why being open and vulnerable is a position of power because if you're open and vulnerable, shame will have no power over you. And then you resist this shame, you refuse it with who you are in Christ. So people are going to work hard to shame you. Uh, Some people, though, will honor you because of your openness and vulnerability. Over the years, I've always been amazed that people will come up to me and say, wow, I really honor you. You're so open and vulnerable. And I'm thinking, no, I'm just being normal. But for me, I mean, it's it's a normal thing. But I've been surprised at how that happens. And some people will honor you because of that. But we need to choose, like Jesus did, to despise shame as something worthless. That's Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And sometimes we'll have to wait to receive honor. So if we're resisting shame, we expect honor to come quickly. It doesn't always come quickly, as I have discovered even in my own life, but it will come. It will come. And so how do we do it? We resist and refuse with our identity and calling in Christ. Notice how David did it. He said, hey, Michal, the Lord chose me, not your dad, to be the king over Israel. And I'm going to worship the Lord because it's about him. It's not about you. And we do it the same way. Jesus chose us. And it's about Jesus. It's not about us. I I want to be open and vulnerable because of Jesus, not because I'm just a natural open and vulnerable guy. I'm not. I'm an introvert. And I'm going to resist any attempt to shame me because I know who I am in Christ. I know what Christ has done for me. And I know that Jesus bore my shame on the cross. So I have nothing to be ashamed of, not because I haven't done anything shameful, I certainly have, but because Jesus has paid the price for my shame. And so by golly, I'm not going to let any human being shame me. And I'm certainly not going to let him control me because I know who I am in Jesus and I know in Jesus I am shame-free because of what he's done for me. Then the last couple of things here. We need to bless the people around us in the name of the Lord. Notice what David did. He passed out cakes and and meat and, and everything to the people around him. It's an incredible gift. He was living to bless people. And to do that, we need to seek to do good to everyone, give of ourselves to everyone, act self-sacrificially, and do so in a way that reflects God's character and God's honor. 
So we need to remember, men, even as we're pursuing blessings, we're not pursuing the blessings for ourselves. We're pursuing the blessings so that we can share with everyone around us. Every time God blesses us, the missional purpose of that blessing is so we can be a blessing, so that we can turn it around and bless other people. And that's our calling as men. We are to be instruments of blessing in the world, in the marketplace, in your workplace, everywhere you are, we are to bless other people. That's our calling. That's we pursue the blessings to receive that. We live authentically before people in order to bless them in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the final thing here, we also have to bless our household. We also must bless our household. I can't tell you the number of times that I've seen men be excellent at blessing everybody around them, but they never bless their wives. They never bless their children. And men, we have a sacred responsibility before the Lord to bless our families. You know what? They don't have a responsibility to bless us. But I guarantee you guys, if you are blessing your family, they will bless you. But that's our responsibility, and that's what David did. He blessed his household. We often forget to bless our own households. I remember the tragic story of Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was an American evangelist in the early part of the 1900s. He played baseball for a while, and then he gave that up to be a preacher. He was very effective. He led thousands and thousands to the Lord Jesus. But none of his children got saved. All of his children died before the age of 40. Uh, His three sons, they had nine marriages between them. They were alcoholics. They were philanderers. They were cheats. And Billy Sunday, at the end of his life, he said, you know, I blessed so many people. I shared the gospel with so many people, but I lost my own children. Men, we have to bless our households. That is our responsibility. We need to remember that those in our households can cause us the most pain, but we still need to bless them. And you can only bless your household if you wholeheartedly honor the Lord. It's absolutely essential. As men, Christian men, we are in Christ Jesus. And because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, we can live authentically before people without shame. That is our call. Doesn't matter what job you're doing. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter even if you don't have a job. That is your call in Christ Jesus. And we need to remember, we don't go on this journey alone. We walk together with other Christian men. We have to. And we walk together as people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And by the cross of Christ, We have been united with Christ so that we become the wisdom of God to the world. And as we live authentically before people without shame, those people will begin to see Jesus Christ in us. And before we say a word, they will encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ. They will be drawn to Jesus. And guys, the best way that we can see our friends 
our male friends come to Christ is by living authentically before them without shame as the person whom Jesus has created us to be. God has a calling and destiny for you in Jesus Christ. And we can know it because we can see it even as we share the Lord's Supper. When we share the Lord's Supper, it is an acknowledgement that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he, he, his body was broken there, his blood was shed there, not because he needed it, but because we needed it. And through that forgiveness that we receive by grace through faith in Jesus, by surrendering our lives to Jesus, Jesus, the real man, unites himself with us as real men and also real women, but he unites himself with us so that we men, we can live out of our redeemed manhood in Jesus. And ladies, you can live out your redeemed womanhood in Jesus. And so we come to the Lord's table today remembering all that Jesus has done for us. Let us pray. Gracious God, thank you so much. Thank you for calling us as men to live before you boldly and faithfully without shame. Lord, help us to live authentically before the people around us without shame, without fear, without anger. Let us live as David did. And let us live in the power of the Holy Spirit in union with Christ Jesus. And for all of us, Lord God, let us live authentically as the people you have made us to be, man and woman, created in your image, equal before you. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for rising for us. We pray that you bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, broken and shed on the cross. For we love you and we praise you, we exalt you, and we pray all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke